you could see the stadium, you could hear everything that was going on. Mm. And it was obviously August, it was like nine, ten o'clock, whatever it was, and it was dark, and obviously the stadium was lit up, um, and you could just hear these like thunderous roars coming out of the stadium. And like you're outside your room, and you're just Mm. sitting having a cup of tea or whatever it was you were doing, and you could hear these roars like, and you're thinking, shit. Yeah. 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 You're like, shit, that is going to be me tomorrow. Yeah, Yeah. Frightening, but also incredibly exciting at the same time. Yeah. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the Travis Podcast. We're here with another guest. We have Ross Murray, an ex Team GB from 2012. How are you doing? Not too bad, mate. Not too bad. Friday, which uh, generally means you can start to have a. Well, it depends what you want to do, but uh, generally I wait till. Friday, Saturday before I have a drink. So a, kicking off the weekend with a nice, nice little desperado speaking to you boys. Yeah. So yeah, we just wanted to bring him on, have a little chat about his journey through 2012 Olympics. It's pretty amazing. Like to represent our home team and um, pretty yeah, be that kind of guy. And one of what was it, 100, 500 and it was 520, 551 participants in the UK. And you're one of them. That was pretty amazing. Um, just how, how was the training that how was the level of training to get to the olympics that's pretty intense yeah it was a bit of a funny story for me actually because yeah. a year before i was um you know on on the verge of quitting just i'd had a lot of injuries leading up to uh, well throughout my kind of lit junior career and then as i moved into being a, a more senior athlete just plagued with injuries and um yeah a year before i was <laughs> i was thinking about retiring and going to yeah. do a season in do a season in Zanti or it would be fair or something. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a good retirement plan. Yeah, why not? Good plan. Good package. Uh, it was like, well, my running's gone to shit, so I might as well go and have a good time. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't in the end. I thought, do you know what it is? I'll, I'll, I'll give it one more go and, and I'll train kind of not as hard as I used to, but with the idea of hopefully getting a scholarship to America, you know, go and get a master's degree, yeah. living the dream out there, whatever. Um, and then that year, I just kind of took a huge step back uh, from the intensity, physically and mentally. Yeah. from what I'd been doing previously and, and for some reason it, it worked incredibly well for me started to get some consistency in there it wasn't getting injured and, and, and over the course yeah. of the year just getting fitter and fitter and fitter um, and I think going into that season uh, my PB was 343 for 1500 metres yeah, yeah. Um, and I ran 334 so a 9 second PB is you know relatively unheard of and very unusual um, yeah. to do um, and it was a, a combination of just being injury free really yeah. enjoying my running not taking it too seriously and the stars aligned yeah. um, and um, yeah we ended up going to the Olympics which was a, a huge shock wouldn't have thought it a year ago yeah. let alone even six months before the games I wouldn't have That's thought right. even, even in the April May time I was thinking you know probably not on the cards for me and then within mm. a space of literally two weeks it went from um you know, thinking, yeah, I'll get go to America, get a scholarship to, shit, I'm going to the Olympics kind of thing. So you train that's, that's, that's amazing for the Olympics. That's it's funny that your story was actually kind of, um, in essence, the back, a backwards story of what people say, you know, you train hard and you get to where you want. But actually, you kind of have to take a step back from that. You, uh, you had to take a break from it. And I guess that was kind of like your body being like, hey, let me reset. Let me, yeah. let me kind of recover and, you know, do do myself properly and then you kind of get back into it and you, you ended up doing better. I mean, I've heard of stories like that a lot where you have to take a step back from training so hard and kind of change your focus, change your, your mindset. And then you come back to it and you're, you know, 
way better than you were before. And that's amazing. That's that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, no, I think like you say, it's probably heard you know quite a lot of time. It's probably a more common thing than what people might realise. And you see, you know, in the media and and kind of the narrative that's built around successful sports people is that well, I trained harder and I worked and I, and I made more sacrifice and I did this, that, and the other. But sometimes it can be counterintuitive. And I don't yeah. even think it's in just in sports in life, you know, whether it's. You know, if if you've got a YouTube channel and you know you're constantly working really hard to to produce content that you think's going to make a successful channel, but then if you were to kind of just take a step back and do the content that you like to do and what you what you what you're more passionate about, then sometimes that can you know end up reaping more rewards. And I think work life as well. I think it's um, yeah. there's a, there's always a happy balance, isn't there, between working really hard. And enjoying it because once 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 you lose the love of something, you start to resent it. And then once you resent it, whether it's getting up and running in the morning and you're thinking, I don't know why I'm doing this, my body's hurt and I'm not enjoying this, or whether it's at work, you know, if you're not enjoying it, you're not going to be passionate, you're not enjoying it. And, and I'm a yeah. firm believer in a, a happy runner runs well. A happy runner would run well better at 80% of the intensity than a miserable ass runner right. running 100% of what they were doing. Yeah, that's right, but that's very I'm, true. I'm sure there were times when you were getting pretty annoyed the fact that the weather in this country is crap and morning runs must have been a bit of a struggle at times I imagine yeah I I mean again you know this podcast all about complete honesty I was a student at the time so I had a lot of time so I was getting up and running at like you know 8 39 o'clock so again not following that Hollywood narrative of being up at 6 30 with your head gloves no most professional <laughs> athletes, it's yeah. not the case of it. You know, most professional athletes, yeah, you're getting up at a nice time in the morning, and you're you've got a, you know, a nice breakfast to have, and and you and you kind of run when you want, sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it would be good to tell you that I was uh, doing twelve hour shifts in a factory, and I made it, but it's it's not it's not the truth. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is awesome. At what point did you realise you were actually really quick, though? Because it's not um, something. Not something that I would like. We've all tried running. Matt's more of a more yeah. a runner than Nico, but I, I'm definitely slow in comparison. <laughs> yeah, to in comparison to I'll you, be. absolutely. But just in generally, yeah, I'm very. So, at what point did you realise you were quicker than the vast majority of people that you knew? Uh, probably like as young as seven or eight years old. You know, I remember being an a decentish sprinter in primary school, like one of the fastest kind of kids in the class. Yeah. But it was more the endurance stuff. I think when we were like eight years old, we did like a, a we had like a fun run. This is what it called back then. Yeah, yeah. You don't get fun runs anymore, but you had a, you'd have a fun run, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, well, they remember, lied to you to tell you it was fun. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just remember, I remember when all the other kids were stopping. I, I'm not again. Human memory is not a very reliable thing, but the way that I picture it in my mind was after half a lap or after 400 meters, most of the other kids were like stopping and wanted to walk. I was just peppering lap after lap after oh. lap of this. I mean, in my mind, the school field was massive, but it probably wasn't at all. Yeah, but I just yeah. remember going round and round and thinking, this running's easy for me, you know what I mean? Like, this is easy. Yeah. Um, so I think from like that age onwards, I kind of knew I was a, a good runner. Yeah. So I had a question, is it going to be, um, for someone to get Olympics, is it, is it natural ability or is it intense training? Like, it sounds like for you, it's, Natural ability, or luck as well. Yeah, and luck, yeah, maybe luck as well. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I always say there's three things you need to be a very good runner. I mean, yeah. it's probably the same for most sports. First thing you need is talent. You need that natural talent, and 
we call it talent, but essentially that's the genetic makeup, the physiology, the fast twitch muscle fibers, yeah. whatever it is. So you need that. Now, you could train as hard as you like. You could do 120, 150 miles a week, but if your physiology isn't really made for running, you're not gonna. You're not gonna. You might be. You'll, you'll get better, and you might be a decent runner, but yeah. you're never gonna be a world beater. Next thing you need is obviously the the application um, mentally. You need to be able to kind of put yourself in places that most normal people don't. And Beat because the wall, I've been, as they say, isn't it? I, yeah. I hit the wall a lot, and I'm like, oh, that's a big ass wall. I'm not. I don't know if I can. <laughs> I don't know if I can climb it. <laughs> A hundred percent. And it's like, for me, for, you know, best, most of my life, 20 years or whatever, on a weekly basis, I've been pushing through that wall and hurting the body. And, and most people, most people don't want to do that. And it's just, again, it's just, it's, I think it's a, it's the way you're born, right? It's the way you're wired upstairs. Yeah. I don't think you can teach it. Yeah. So you need to be able to apply yourself. You need injury resilience, mm. which I lacked. That was the big thing that I lacked. Um, especially as I got older. So if you know if you've got a body that just doesn't that breaks down or whatever, then it's game over. So if you can do if you've got all those three things, natural ability, resistance, like injury resilience, and then physical uh, mental kind of fortitude and strength, then you know, you've got the three key components you need to be a good athlete. And then luck is on your side as well. You're absolutely right. Um and that goes down to a more granular point where you know, uh, if you're chasing an Olympic qualifying time, you might get two or three opportunities to do it. Now, if on one of those times the weather's really bad, yeah, nothing exactly. you can do about that. Nice. The second yeah. one, someone might fall over in the race and you get tricked, nothing you can do about that. And the third one, you might get a, a, a cold or something like that. So, so there's definitely an element of luck um, involved in, in, in that. Sorry, guys. I must say, as we're all suffering from lockdown days, <laughs> my head. It's cracking. Uh, ours are much better. We're lucky that most of our uh, our audience is podcast based and not YouTube based. Yeah, get away with that. That's yeah. What what um how did your coach play a big part in in getting you to, into the Olympics? Because I have um like I'm still at Bruno University and I have a lot of friends in athletics and. A few friends that are very very good in athletics uh you know sponsored some in team gb some aren't some you know breaking records and some aren't and i've noticed massively that like it really the coach that you have really changes the mindset of that person like i can speak to two people doing the same event with different coaches and their mindset and how they approach everything is just completely different and surely it must be an element of oh hey that's a world star coach. Let's look at him or her. Uh, yeah, let's pick her up or whatever. You know, is there an element of that in in athletics? I think or actually just numbers. No, I think. Okay, so to be a good coach, yes, you need you need game breaking it down and multiple different things. <laughs> the three. You need a few things to be a good coach. Obviously, uh, the understanding of the knowledge of the sport and what's required in terms of actually setting the training. Uh, the application of that as well is very different. You could understand why you do sessions, why you do certain bits of training where, but unless you apply it uh, to the athlete at the right time, under the right circumstances, with the right conditions, then then it's it's irrelevant. Um, and then obviously the third thing as well, I think is like um, coaching styles. So you could have a coach that's a militant you do this at this time and if you don't, I'm going to, you know, kick your ass and blah, 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 blah. 
And some people would respond really well to that and other people don't. Some people prefer the carrot, other people prefer the stick. So it's almost as well, it's a bit about what you said, a bit about luck, finding the coach that has all those things, but actually that matches your personality style as well. So for me, that militant approach didn't, would never have worked. I that never worked for me either. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I prefer a more empathetic, compassionate kind of, okay, why do you want to do this? Like, you know, this session was great, but you know, do you know what I mean? Like I, I prefer, yeah. and someone will give you a bit of a free reign to say, well, you know, after a race, if you want to go and have some beers, then crack on. Like, why not? Yeah, Whereas some coaches would be like, no, you are an athlete, no matter what. But I would just be like, fuck off. So, <laughs> yeah. so what sort of approach you, because um, you've started training, training kind of, uh, your friend, haven't you? Started a training program. Yeah, so I work with, uh, yeah, I work with runners of all different ability and I'm more of a, it's different because I'm not coaching any elite athletes. Hmm. So my approach is obviously very different to a guy who wants to run a sub 50 minute 5k. It's not the be all and end all for him. Obviously we do everything we can to get him as fit as possible and setting all the right sessions. Nice. But if he turned around to me and said, Ross, I'm really hung over this, this Sunday. Like I only did nine miles, not, not 14. I'd be like, no worries, mate. You know, you, you've got work, okay. you work all week. Yeah. Chill out. Don't worry. Like if he was doing it every single week, I would have a conversation and go, right, you've set yourself this goal. Now, if you don't get your long run done and you maybe don't kind of just cutting your nights out or whatever, we're probably not going to achieve it or there's going to be less, less, less of a chance of achieving it. And if you're fine with that and you want to carry on going and have, having a few drinks, crack on. But the ball's in your court. I'm not going to hassle uh, a 38-year-old you know, guy to not go out on a Sunday. You know <laughs> I mean? So, so it's, it's very different for me for the, coach, the athletes that I have. I'm always very honest with them and, and they're honest with me. And that's one thing I would say to them. I say, you know, if, you, if you've got a birthday party on a Friday night, tell me because we'll do your session on a Friday before you go because I don't want you to do it hungover. So I'm never going to be the person who's going to in, in, interfere with their personal, sort of social or work life because we're, we're operating on very different skills. Yeah, you don't want your uh, your athlete to sort of resent the sport either. I have noticed that as, as well. A few of my friends have just kind of lost the passion for it because of their coaches or because of the commitment required um you know I've, it's just the nature of the game isn't it and and even more so because athletics is like a an individual sport so it's you and only you you don't have your teammates to be like hey you're having a bad day it doesn't matter we can carry the team we can bring you up we can whatever it's you and only you if you hate the sport you hate the sport kind of thing and I, I I feel like it takes a lot of resilience to to go through those hurdles as well, and you know that's why you you made it to the Olympics. You managed to get that far because yeah. of that. Yeah, I think one example I'd always kind of use to try and put it into perspective to people so they could understand the high pressured environment that you're in is let's say let's say you're working in sales or marketing or something like that, and in in October, I'm your boss, and I turn around and I say, right, Matthew you're going to work on this one pitch all year and you're right. going to be, this is going to be your main focus and you've got to work on it all year and you're going to present it to a client uh, and you're going to present it to the client on the 25th of May and you get three and a half minutes to get this pitch absolutely perfect. You cannot fuck it up one bit and if you do, there are no second chances and if you do fuck it up, you do not get your bonus, you'll cut your salary in half and there'll be nothing for you for the rest of the year. How much of a high-pressured situation is that? You've got 
Yeah. You've got, you've got three and a half minutes to condense your best year's work and you don't get any, and oh, and also you're up against all the other sales and marketing people from other companies who are going to be doing exactly the same thing there with you and you might see them doing it better. Like it's, it's a really high, and it's the same for any individual sport, whether it's boxing, cycling, swimming, whatever. It's, it's a very high pressured environment and, and it can, it gets the better of most people, to be yeah. honest with you. Uh, it got the better of me on, on some occasions for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, but luckily not all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> going back to London 2012 then for a minute. Um, what was it like going from like just being a student to then running in front of a crowd and running for Team GB and the Olympic Village? And so I've got a question about the Olympic Village. Well, come. She's back. got a question. Yeah, yeah. Maybe about shagging in it. It always is. <laughs> <laughs> he knows. <laughs> it's because I read somewhere recently that they gave out like a hundred thousand condoms at London 2012 and then they quadrupled that for Rio wow. so like apparently every competitor at London 2012 had the equivalent of 15 condoms given to them and then at Rio it was like 39 I did not get to partake in any of this orginous sexness and trust me it wasn't through lack of trying <laughs> but uh, no, no seriously uh, no right, that was a bit of a joke answer with a, a, a pinch of truth in it yeah. uh, no, of course. I mean, I think like you, you, you see, you get all these athletes who've trained all year, and some of them might might not have been as relaxed with their training approach and everything as I was, um, and they've been in in training mode for so long, men, women, whatever, and they get to the Olympics, and then all of a sudden, for the first time in perhaps like a year, they've got an opportunity to to go out and enjoy themselves. Now, yeah, yeah. obviously, young people between you know. God, the average age of someone at the Olympics, I don't know what oh, it yeah, is, but it's yeah. 22 or something like that. So we all know what you're like at 22, men and women. You're, you're, you're usually probably single. You're out. So it's just putting, I mean, it's not even the Olympics. You put any group of young people in a situation like that and, and only one thing's going to happen and it's not even about society today. It's happened forever, right? Yeah. <laughs> Point is, humans like having sex. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, we're, and we're attracted to each other. So... It's it's just going to happen, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there was lots of it going on. You know, I, pl- I did probably see when I say I seen some of it. I didn't, I wasn't spying on anyone. I didn't physically speak, <laughs> but you yeah. can see you can see that walk off to a bedroom where you know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, of course it goes on, um, and uh, yeah, I, I wish I'd, I wish I'd got more involved. You know. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Which is class, class answer that. <laughs> <laughs> Going from like just like complete because obviously a student environment in terms of that's probably not that different to what went on, but in terms of like the pressure of being a GB athlete mm. at London, well, that must game, have been yeah. quite high. Like because at Rio, you've not got the pressure of being the home, the home nation. Did you feel any additional pressures as a result of that, or not really? Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't compete in Rio, unfortunately. <laughs> um, no, but, but I think definitely there would have been way more pressure to home games because I think I turned my phone off a day or two out because it was like anyone you've ever met who knew you from school, uni, college, you worked with, anything like that. And it was all nice messages, don't get me wrong, but everyone was like, oh, we're having a party at the house, to, we're having everyone around, we're going to watch you, what it's going to be great. Like, go and let wink. Like, all those kind of, and, and they're lovely and they were sweet and they were super supportive and it was really nice. Um, but um, obviously, 
yeah, of course, it puts a lot of pressure on. And it was, I was just like, yeah, phone's off. I'm um, just okay. going to, we got given these um, kind of uh, like, well, I don't know, just mobile phones, but you know, the ones without any internet on or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So we all got given them. So with like you know, 20 quids worth of credit on or something like that. So I just remember saying to my nearest and dearest at the time, which was basically my mom um, and coach and maybe one girl I was trying to chat up at the time. Um, and um, yeah, you're just like, this is my number. Let's speak, blah, blah, blah. So, so um, yeah, no, it was, um, it was very high pressured, but because it went well for me, you know, I qualified for the Olympics. I went, I got through my heat. I did okay in the semi-final. It was a hugely positive experience and all the, the love that you were getting from people. And then even after the games as well, it was, it was all super positive. Um, so I, I'm kind of glad, you know, I only went to one Olympics, but it was a hugely positive experience. Um, Amazing experience, I bet, yeah. Yeah. But how was it, um, like, going onto, onto the um, track, like, behind the scenes? Because we never see that sort of stuff on TV, like, you see a bit of football now and other sports they're trying to show you behind the scenes and things with um UFC you see a bit a lot of build-up stuff you don't really see that Olympics you don't really see what's happening like pressure cook pressure cooker out back like training and warming up like how was that like hearing the crowd and the chant yeah, going out yeah must be two two things spring to mind you're starting to work out the way my mind works compartmentalizing things constantly yeah. Um, the first one was the night before I competed. So I think Jess Ennis was competing. Yeah. He was, it wasn't Super Saturday. Oh, yeah. I thought, yeah. It, it, well, I don't think it was that. I think it was, it was the Friday, which was her first day in the heptathlon. Okay. We, we were in the Olympic Village, which was, you know, you could see the stadium, you could hear everything that was going on. Mm. And it was obviously August, it was like 9, 10 o'clock, whatever it was. And it was dark and obviously the stadium was lit up. Um, and you could just hear these like thunderous roars coming out of this yeah. and like you're outside your room and you're just sitting having a cup of tea or whatever it was you were doing and you could hear these roars like roar, roar, and you're thinking shit yeah, yeah. 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 Nah, you're like shit that is going to be me tomorrow yeah, which yeah. is frightening but also incredibly exciting at the same time mm. yeah um, how do you get to sleep man mm. that's ridiculous yeah, I was worried about that. The lead up, I thought I'm not going to be able to sleep, but but I actually somehow managed to you know get myself off, and it was fine. Um, but you know you had that, so you're in the village, you can hear the stadium, it's all going on. And I was competing on one of the first few days, so everybody was still in competition mode. So as you went through the week and people got knocked out, it got a little bit more rowdy. But I was still in like everyone was still in competition mode, which was yeah. Really so you had that and then obviously on the day of competition the warm-up track is about a mile from the track mile from the stadium so you'd be on the warm-up track you'd have a 400 meter track you have the infield you can jog around you've got all the teams set up with your tents and your massage and all that so it's it's hard really i mean hard to explain really you'd think you'd be like oh my god oh my god i'm gonna be in the olympics but you just switch you just go through the motions aren't you uh it's like fight or flight you guys yeah. like fight, and you went into fight mode. I did. I was like, right, fucking, I'm gonna beat these, blah blah blah. You know, I'm, Shit, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you go, you're going into. It's almost like you're going into battle, really. You're preparing yeah, yeah. yourself, something like that. Um, so I, in in uh, in the Olympic Village and stuff, and when you're kind of just chilling and you're all just relaxing around and stuff. I mean, I can imagine you kind of don't want to get into other people's personal space. You know, I've 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 been to Bucks, um, like Bucks Nationals in 
in Southampton. No, not Southampton. Um, Sheffield in Sheffield and you know when you're in the infield track I know that's that's when you're actually competing but in general people who are competing they'll have an event tomorrow very switched on they only care about themselves they only care about what they're doing is it like that sort of vibe in the Olympic Village when you're walking around can you not really talk to people or I don't mean obviously you walk past each other but you can sense that kind of competitive vibe and people wanting their space and wanting their own routines to do and stuff yeah, definitely. And I think people are all pretty respectful of each other. So I was in, a, in an apartment um, with uh, six other people, five other people. So there was, yeah, two room, three rooms of two. Um, so everyone's, everyone's on their own schedules, man. People are in the room, they're watching TV shows, they're, they're chilling out, you, you, you'll go and get some food, you come back, you relax. And you, your competition day starts few days out really your, your preparation for that you start to get yourself in the zone um and yeah you generally have a lack of people still you know you, you're in competition mode but you're not a zombie walking around like i'm <laughs> tomorrow, yeah. blah, blah, blah. it's like and that's kind of what you'd picture from the outside though you would yeah. you kind of yeah you know, some not, people might picture that you know some of our listeners might be like right they're all kind of just straight up into competition mode you know you go to the village and and you sleep you get your food, you sleep, you train, you get food, sleep, train, but actually it's, it's not so much like that. No, you, you hang out and, it is, and it's actually better for you to kind of just have a bit more normality where you are. Oh, who wants to go for a coffee? Right, we're off for coffees. I don't fancy going for a walk, you know, pottering about and you're just killing time, really. You're just literally killing time in a way that conserves your energy, um, conserve like physical and mental, um, and you're just getting ready for that day. But I think everyone's still pretty chatty with each other. You have a good laugh. It's not the same as when you've all finished competing and you're at the after party, but yeah. but you're yeah. but you're you're going about your days like you kind of would normally, but with a it's like you know there's 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 an, there's something in the air which you know everybody's got something else on their mind and that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine that. And um, the pa- gone. Was there quite a bit of a come down in the sense that you sort of you've had the pinnacle and then you sort of just like, okay, what's kind of like, what's next for me? What's, what's after all that experience? Uh, no, I would say <laughs> that happened at the end of the career. Um, <laughs> um, no, that, that, um, that because I, I was 21. So I came out of that Olympics thinking I've trained for six months. I haven't even been going full hog. I've been, you know, enjoying myself as well. If I knuckle down in four years time, I'm getting a medal. So for me, it was very much an exciting thing. It was like rolling straight into the next set of goals, the next Olympic cycle. Yeah. That more came when you retired and, and not even, you know, it wasn't the day you retired. You have moments where you kind of, you've got a loss of identity and you kind of, you don't, you know, you don't know where your next, it is, it's weird because like you were, uh, I was on holiday uh, September last year. I went to Bali and I was with um, Andrew Asagi and his wife and me and my girlfriend mm-hmm. and I was at the pool and we were just chatting away and I said like I was like <laughs> you know the pinnacle of our lives is <laughs> like already been I was like look don't get me wrong getting married and having children they're going to be amazing experiences and, and wonderful in very different ways mm-hmm. I said but we will never ever get a year like 2012 where it didn't just start on race day as well. You know, the minute you qualified, you had all the build-up, you had everything afterwards. We were both, like, young and you were successful and you were doing your running. And 
and people were all so supportive of you and everyone wanted to be a friend and everyone wanted to you know help you out and that's an amazing feeling and anyone says who it wouldn't be is talking out their ass because it is everyone wants everyone wants to support you and you're in the stadium and you run in front of 80,000 people and the, the whole nation's supporting you and everyone you've ever met it's a wonderful most amazing thing Bonkers. and and it's like I'm I'm really happy in my life right now, right? Like I'm I'm I go about my days and I'm, I'm really satisfied with what I'm doing. But it's like maybe it's like an eight out of ten. But that was like a, a nine point eight out of ten. Yeah, and yeah. to get that to get that high and that kind of level of pure happiness, if you want to call it, it's probably never going to happen again. Which I'm fine with. I accept that. But also there's a there's an element of what you're saying, like a bit of a downer about it as well. It's like shit. I've had the best experience i'm ever going to have in life does that make sense you never know because if the saudi takeover of newcastle happens you might win a champions league or something yes now that's a a different topic altogether but uh, (laughs) (laughs) well i I think it'll be a very interesting uh time if newcastle uh start rising up the league i don't think it'll keep steve bruce much longer if you're struggling to find the right hairstyling product, then you should check out The Natural Barber Company. They are this week's sponsors of the Tribes podcast. They have created two hair pomades, Zeus and Hades. They are both all-natural hairstyling products that is both good for the earth and your hair. They are free of synthetics, petrochemicals and other harmful ingredients that irritate your sensitive skin and also plastic-free. Gareth Bale calls it his go-to hair product. If you shop now, you can get 25% off and free UK delivery with the code TRIBUS25. So visit the website naturalbarber.co. Now let's get back to the episode. I could talk to you for days about Newcastle, but I don't think the other two would be very happy about are you, that. Are you a Newcastle fan, are you? I'm not, no. I'm a Manchester yeah. United season ticket holder. It's a controversial uh, topic, the Newcastle thing, isn't it, really? Because let's be honest, nobody really. wants to support a regime, pardon me, sorry, a regime which you know commits some of the atrocities that they do. But then on the flip side, I don't feel it's the responsibility of a football fan to 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 be held accountable for who owns the club. And also as well, you know, when you've got a British government that deals with Saudi Arabia in the way that they do, or you've got, you know, Sheffield United with Saudi investors, or you've got other clubs with investors from countries with practices as well. I don't understand why Newcastle all of a sudden, you know, you've got you've got sports writers writing about how it's so awful that the Newcastle takeover is going to happen and this, that and the other. The same sports writers that were bigging up and, and promoting the, the boxing fight of Joshua and can't remember who he was fighting in Saudi Arabia. It's like, hang on, I'm all fine for drawing a moral line if it's the same for everybody. And, and it feels like a bit as a, a northerner and someone who supports a northeast club that it's just a case of people don't want another powerhouse. You know, big football fans, big football, they don't want... Newcastle be taken over by a guy who's worth 240 billion because at the end of the day, if it does happen, we're going to be the next Man City. I think think they're threatened because unlike Manchester City, Newcastle actually has a very, very loyal following. And despite not achieving the results in the past 10 years, you are still a big club. You're like, it's like you look at Leeds United and Aston Villa and stuff, traditionally big clubs. And then you've got Chelsea have come on along in the last 15 years because they had Russian money and City with Saudi Arabian money or whatever. And, you know, I think I, as a selfish, from a selfish point of view, I'd love Newcastle to back up their challenging. Yeah, but, and I think, I think as well, like Newcastle is a very unique club for a number of reasons. And 
it, it would be too simplistic to just say, well, we just love football and love our club more. It's a bit, there's a bit, there's obviously a lot of factors that go into it, i.e., you know, you go to London, there's like seven or eight top clubs in London, so everyone follows different clubs in the northeast. You know, there's, there's yeah. what Newcastle and Sunderland, but really, there's no competition there, and yeah. you know, so there's that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and there's that, but also, we you do have a very incredibly loyal following because you know, football's just. I don't know. There's there's clubs all over the all over the world. Like uh, I think it's a uh, um, what they call FC um, clone. Oh, what they call in Germany? Call, uh, what are they called? Um, um, no, not Bayern Munich. They've got the mad fans. Uh, clone, clone, clone. Yeah, so they've got mad. I think it's they. They've got mad set of fans, similar to what Newcastle are. Um, and you get some people saying, "Oh, well, it's because there's nothing else to do up in Newcastle," which is absolute horseshit. There's so much. There's so much good stuff you can do up there. Um, yeah. But it's obviously just that um, narrow-minded Southern view that anything outside the M25 is a shit hole. There's nothing going on, which obviously isn't true. Um, so I think it's a unique club that has a huge following, and even things like you know, even things like a black and white strip, right? I always think it's quite oh. uncommon. To, it's uncommon to have that, and it's like it's a it's a lucrative club that could you know become a, a big powerhouse again. And like you say, you know, it would be the same if it happened to a Leeds or a Nottingham Forest or something like that. Like they're they're, they're sleeping. I always say they're sleeping giants, and Leeds and Nottingham Forest really have way more potential than a, a Bournemouth or a Brighton. But it just hasn't happened for them. Nice. Well, I hope fingers crossed. I mean, my uh, my dad's a avid Leeds United fan. Um, and obviously, me being a Manchester United fan, is it you couldn't pick two teams that hate each other more? So, as a, a farm son divide, it's quite an interesting one. But, um, yeah. I'd, love to, I'd love to see Leeds go back up to be honest with you. Like, I think they've been so close so many times in the playoffs and they've <laughs> fucked it up every time. So, I think they deserve a chance. But, man, the Premier League's brutal. I thought Aston Villa have gone back up, and I genuinely, genuinely thought pumped a bit of money into it. They'll be back up for a while now, but God no, they're going nope. straight back down. Yeah, in serious trouble. Nice. That Sunderland till I die Netflix series is amazing, by the way. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I haven't seen the first, yeah. I seen the second series yet. Oh, oh. mate, it's, I'll hold my hands up, and you know, Newcastle fans will probably turn their grave seeing this. I felt sorry for the fans, you know. You can resonate with them, like working class towns. The, the, you know, you love your club and. It is a it is a big club. Do you know what I mean? Like they've got great facility, yeah. big stadium, big following. But they, I feel a bit sorry for them. But it's still quite funny at the same time. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny that you've come back up and they've gone straight back down. <laughs> they, they 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 when we went down, they really like rubbed it in. Like really were loving it. And and I don't blame them. We do the same. But it's just what yeah. rivalries do. But yeah. it is equally then so funny when you know there's clips of their fans saying. Hey, yeah, well, this time next year, they'll be playing Burton, winning at Burton, but I'd rather be losing it at Man United and they now can't even beat Burton, so... Yeah. <laughs> Cruel irony. Yeah. yeah. I just want to watch to see uh, Portsmouth beat him in, the, uh, in that trophy. I was there for that game, so I'm a Portsmouth fan, so that's good. There you go. Pompey played today as well. They're in the... Yeah, I missed Yeah, playoffs. But it sounds like uh, Dan and Ross, Ross needs to make a podcast for football. That sounds like oh, mate, we can talk for hours. Seriously, we, it'd be great. Yeah. I mean, if you get me on Champ Man or One or Two, that is probably my mastermind speciality. Um, so, if you want to talk about that and who your free transfers were, first signing for anyone was Terrible West on a free. You're mad if you didn't get him. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm a, bit, I'm a few more years 
above that, unfortunately. Yeah. Freddie Ardu on a free was the old uh, cheek that, that, that was CM4, wasn't it? Champ, Champ Man 4, you get him. Michael Chopra was sick on that as well. And uh, Luar Luar, surprisingly. Yeah. Luar Luar, class player. Yeah. Loved the backflips. Yeah. <laughs> Man. player. Oh, yeah, that's been, that's been good. I had a uh, question to the end, so a good fun one for free off to get involved. I was looking through your social and uh, just saw that you uh, just tweeted, I love Chris. Uh, Chris, I'm like proper lush. So uh, what's your top three, Chris, Ross? <laughs> uh, do you know, I, um, sometimes I just put stuff out on Twitter for a laugh. Like, yeah, so do I. Yeah, yeah. Chris, crisps are proper lush, right? Like, yeah, I was yeah. just, look, oh, man, I love it. I, like, honestly, you give me chocolate or crisps and it's crisps every time. Yeah. Okay. So, really, I'm a man, nah. I mean, again, we could do a full podcast on crisps, which I'm happy <laughs> to do. Um, but... Sorry. I think uh, top three crisps, obviously it can change every moment, but yeah, staples, which, you know, will just never go out of fashion, are your flaming Hot Monster Munch, uh, Mexican Chili Heat Wave from Doritos, um, and also Wheatos, I think they're Wheat, Wheatos, Wheat uh, Barbecue, like a smoky bacon yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. Interesting. Wow, there's some not, not common... Uh... I was not expecting any of those answers. I'll give you that. I was expecting some more vanilla answers like uh, salt and vinegar. Salt and vinegar walkers or Pringle. Yeah, nah. Yeah, come on. I mean, if you really, if you really want to go rogue, you're talking Space Invaders, discos, yeah. squares, that kind of thing. Yeah, I was going to say discos are great. I mean, if you like, I, I think if you like prawn and cocktail crisps, you're basically a serial killer. Chips <laughs> can be kind of, kind of allowed. You're talking. Think- Go on. No, I was going to say with with uh, with the, I mean, yeah, basically I'm a serial killer then because I am quite partial to a prawn and cocktail crisp. Can't stand them. <laughs> that's then, a brilliant place. To end it, high sweet chili. And if you had a meal deal, that's got to be the one you pick. Yeah. For me. That's great. Yeah, there. Bit bit spicy. Yeah. Let's go to end it. Thank you very much for coming onto the podcast, though. Really yeah. appreciate it. No problem at all, guys. I mean, yeah, if you, I mean, I'm in no rush, by the way. So if you do want to choke more, it's, it's absolutely fine. But yeah, great to chat to you all.